be here. My name's Pete, my wife, Nikki, lead a church up in uh, Ealing called Redeemer. Uh, I know you guys got Matt Hosier, leads the church al- along the team. He actually inputs into our church, so it's my privilege to stand here and say a massive thank you. Uh, I don't know how much you know about this, but he travels all over the country, inputs into lots of different churches, and we really appreciate that. We are really, really grateful for it. Our church is the better for it. I'm trusting you guys are praying for him. Maybe glad to get rid of him, but you know it's great having him come and join us. So we want to say a massive thank you for that. Uh, it's a real privilege in what Matt and Grace are doing. If you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you could turn to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Whilst we're doing that, I just wondered if we could sing together, actually. It's coming home, it's coming home. Ah, it's fascinating, isn't it? We've had that song in this country for 25 years. And after last week, it suddenly seems very hollow, doesn't it? I, I don't know how many of you are on the edge of your seat thinking, oh, it's World Cup next year, Pete. I'm full of faith the England team will do it. Or whether you think, I've given up. Disappointment leads to doubt. And I sometimes think we can be like that with God. And maybe you've found this last season really difficult. And maybe you've been following him for a long time. And maybe you thought, you know what, I think God's going to break in and God's going to do something. And it's not happened quite as quick as you thought. And then we can end up doubting God. I want to read this psalm to us. Psalm Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This is a wonderful psalm. This is a psalm that has encouraged Christians literally throughout the centuries. Martin Luther, he was a German priest, part of the Reformation. He used this as the basis for his hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. 
In fact, when he was in his greatest distress, I don't know how you found the last 18 months, he used to call for this psalm to be sung and say, let us sing the 46th psalm in concert and let the devil do his worst. It's almost like we can trust in God. William Carey, he was a, a Baptist missionary. From this country, he went to India. He had a tough time. I know he, at least two wives died while he was there. People in missionaries in those days would pack all their belongings into a coffin to take it on the boat because they thought, I've left this country, I've died here, I'm going to give myself. He spent years translating the Bible only for his printing press to be burnt down. The next Sunday, he stands up and preaches from Psalm 46. God is a strength, a refuge. How are you doing right now? Father, we ask as we take some moments to look at this psalm. Lord, we want to open our hearts to you. Lord, we want to be changed by you. We believe this is your word. Just as it's impacted Christians throughout history, we believe it's your word for us for today. We pray, oh God, you'd speak into our head, into our hearts. It'll impact our hands and the way that we live. We ask this for your glory. Amen. So verses 1 to 3, I have called it this, a refuge in crisis. The psalm starts where it wants us to stay. The focus is on God, our refuge. God is our refuge. I, I wish I had the time this morning to say that over and over again. God is our refuge. God is our refuge. God is our refuge. God is our refuge. What's that, three times? Psalm says it 44 times. The Old Testament says it 94 times. You see, this is a picture God is your refuge. I don't know how we, we often think about that. In fact, here you go. I've got an example. Psalm 9, verse 9. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Sometimes I even think, if I, it's all right, I know how to do this week. I'll be okay on my own. Now, actually, I should run to the refuge of God. It says in Psalm 18, verse 2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Have you got that picture of God today? God is your strength. God is an ever-present help whenever you need it. God is a fortress, the rock that you stand on when the flood would rise. I was going to say, we don't really know much about this in England, but I've been in Paul for this weekend, and it is a pretty sunny place. It's the shelter that you went to to get out of the way of the sun. That's, that's the picture that this psalm was talking about. The stronghold that you go to when you're being chased by a military power. Some have labelled this psalm, God in a crisis. I just want to point out, God's not in a crisis. We are. I think we are in a crisis. The racist behavior that follows penalties at a football tournament. The 210,000 babies that were aborted 
last year. The highest number yet. I believe that we're in a crisis. I believe that as Christians, we will face trouble. This passage talks about natural catastrophes and national attack. It talks about the destruction of the mountains and seas can mean the uprooting of nations and the collapse of kingdoms. I found this quote, a guy called John Goldingay. He's a Birmingham lad who became an Old Testament professor in the United States. God does not guarantee that trouble will not come to those who trust him. But he does guarantee that when trouble comes, he will be the rock that saves, the citadel that protects, and the tower that frustrates our enemies. I love the amens. I feel like I'm back in London. (laughs) Come on, the more diverse we are. I tell the church, I said, the more you lean forward, the louder the amens, the better the sermon you get. I'm, I'm just giving you a tip here. The reality is, is this is our God who is our refuge. The danger with the Israelites is that they would look at other things. If you look at the history of them, sometimes they think, we're just going to try and fight our way out of trouble on our own. I can do it by myself. Sometimes they used to think, we're by our way out of trouble. Basically, we give you all the gold out of our temple, now just clear off and leave us alone. Sometimes they think, we're bow our way out of trouble. Actually, we're making allegiance with you, the king of Pharaoh uh, of Egypt, and, and if we bow to you, if we worship you, will you protect us? Tozer, the American pastor and author, says this, the superior Christian lets God strip him of everything that might serve as a false refuge, a secondary trust. Sometimes I think even in these tough times, actually what God is doing is taking away the things that we would trust in instead of trusting in him. I think one of the biggest dangers of our increased knowledge is that it leads to increased fear. And I'm never sure that increased knowledge stirs us on faith. God wants us in this psalm to look to him and trust him, to express our worship to him in the midst of difficulties, not just afterwards. That can be hard, can't it? Sometimes when it's really difficult and and you see there's light ahead, you think, is that a train coming or is it the end of the tunnel? I'm, I'm just not totally sure. But even in the midst of difficulties, we will worship him. Derek Kidner, he was a London-born Old Testament scholar. He says, our true security is in God, not in God plus anything else. I said to my, my church, I said, oh, how has this year been for you? And they were going, oh, it's been horrible. I said, oh, that's fascinating, isn't it? Because if we believe Jesus is enough, have we not had Jesus the last year? Oh, what I realize is I quite like Jesus, but I also like a foreign holiday or I like to go out for dinner. Oh, no, actually, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Thank you. You're getting a better sermon. <laughs> Layla, a Ghanaian founder of the Smart Youth Volunteers Foundation, says this, King of kings, my rock, my refuge. I want you to have this sense of this is the God that the psalmist is talking about. And then it goes on in this sort of second section, a river of peace. Verse 4 to 7, 
a river of peace. Although the psalm does not use the word Jerusalem or Zion, they're both strong themes throughout. And you might say to me, okay, Pete, is that a psalm there for just for a particular place? And I'm going to answer, no. God did not ask them to have a, a king. He wanted to be their king. God did not ask them to start a city. He adopted it. God did not ask for a temple to be built. It was David's idea. God loved the people and wanted to be with the people. He dwelt in the city and he surrounded her because he wanted to be there. It was something of the presence of God. I asked the previous service, can you name the four rivers that form the basis of Paul? And people didn't seem to know. Anybody here? Are you a brighter bunch than the 930? Avons, Frome, I've got Frome, Corf, Sherford, and apparently the River Piddle. Yeah, I, I, no wonder nobody jumped onto that one. Where do you live by? The River Piddle. The reality is rivers have been key for cities for years. I, look, I come from London. We got the Thames. Why are we there? Because the river was there. What did they use it for? For drinking, washing, cleaning, transport, defense. That is a biblical picture too. Damascus, if you look in two kings, was built next to a river. Nineveh, if you look in Naaman too, was built next to a river. Babylon, if you look in the psalm, was built next to a river. Jerusalem, no river. Oh, so why is he going on about this is the river? In fact, Jerusalem was a weak city, you could say, which meant they had to put their trust in God rather than natural resources. I would say that this is a picture not of a physical river, but of a river of life. And again, this is often a biblical picture in the Bible. The river is something about life that comes from God. In the Garden of Eden, the place of paradise, God created, there is this river we read about in Genesis 2. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it's separated into four headwaters. And you can read about, hey, something of the presence of God meant life. Ezekiel, the prophet, when he's trying to say to the people, come on, look to God. We, we have this vision in Ezekiel 47 of this temple. And there's this water and it's coming out and it's, it's ankle deep and it's knee deep and it's waist deep and you swim in it and it's for the healing of the nations because there's something of this river of life. Ultimately, I believe this picture was fulfilled when Jesus in John 7, on the last and greatest day of the feast, stands up and says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me, as the scriptures say. Streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the spirit. God wants to give you his spirit in his life. Have you been drinking? I said I, I preached on this exact passage, John 7, when I was here last. That was six years ago. And if you come back in 2027, you'll hear my next sermon. We get this phrase, don't we, in here, break of day. Now, many of us just think, how do we pause and think about this? We, we think about God's dwelling. We think about God's life. The break of day. Well, we know, don't we, that the break of day means the darkness of night is gone. It means we're not suddenly going to be attacked. The, 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 the darkness is gone. But actually in Scripture, it's so much more. 
And if you, you plot throughout Scripture, you can suddenly find, oh, the break of day. Well, we know when Moses had broken all the slaves out of Egypt under God, you know, Ten Commandments, that suddenly they're in trouble. And then they get to this river and, oh, no, what's going to happen? Is it going to part and is it going to come back? And will the enemies come through? It says in Exodus 14, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back. So daybreak became a place of victory of God. And in fact, it wasn't just in Exodus. It was also in Kings. The Assyrians have come to attack Jerusalem. The Assyrians are this massive great army. And this is the people of God that literally gone back and back and back. I can't go back any further. We're in trouble. We're going to die. And it says in 2 Kings, that night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, they were all, it's almost like at break of day, they discovered victory. Let's be honest. If you know the Bible, if you've been going to church for a little while, you think, surely, Pete, you can't miss the story of the disciples that are grieving that run to the tomb. Oh no, what has gone on? Luke 24, it says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they found the stone rolled away. He's not here, he's risen. And so this sort of break of days, a sense of, hey, could we believe God for something? This is not about us, and it's not about what we can do. I mean, I think this is amazing. You guys have got this building here. I know I've just been to the other building. I know you're going to believe for another, you know, the, the building to be improved at that next place. I know you're going to give hundreds of thousands of pounds. I know you're all cashing in your pensions right now to pour it at the feet of Matt. Is that what I was meant to say, Matt? No, I, but I think, what could God do? How do we not think it's about what we do? What could God do? And I think that is the challenge here. How do we trust God for breakthrough? And then we get this last section, a right perspective, I've called it. It says, come and see what God has done. Come and see what God has done. That's so helpful, isn't it? I, I read this commentary, the South Asia Bible commentary. I think it's so helpful to see what Christians around the world would make of it. They said the belief that God is in control and that he is with us gives us strength to face the problems and troubles in our lives. Do we have that? Oh, come and see what God has done. Come and remind ourselves. I mean, isn't it going to be great next week just to spend longer in worship? I mean, we shouldn't be singing songs about ourselves, should we? We come and we declare again, God, this is who you are. God, this is what you've done. That's why I can leave this place, you know, walking on clouds of faith. We know this was true of the, the people of God. In, again, in Exodus 14, so often scripture goes back to it, doesn't it? This breakout of the people of God, this picture of taking them from slavery to life. And it says in Exodus 14, when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed, the people feared God and put their trust in him. In tough times, I'm going to keep fixing my eyes upon him. 
I want to keep saying, who, who knows what God could do? We had this church planting morning yesterday on Zoom. Oh, it's great. Somebody from the Middle East joined. Who knows what God could do? Somebody from South Africa joined. Who knows what God could do? Somebody from Scotland joined. Who knows what God could do? Somebody from Wales there. Who knows what God could do? I think, oh, how do we have this thing? Let's fix our eyes on him. It's a detail that Matthew puts into the resurrection. Matthew 28. The angels say to the disciples, come and see the place where he lay. Then go tell. It's almost this, come and have your eyes open. Come and realize how great this God is that we worship. And then we get this phrase, don't we, when we're thinking about the right perspective. Be still and know. I was chatting uh, with Susie, Matt's daughter, last night. I did a, a gap year when I was 18. It's about five years ago now. And uh, I was in Brighton. And what we did then is it was called a New Life Team. And so we would do door-to-door. We'd tell people about Jesus. And we'd also go onto the street and tell people about Jesus. And one of the places we went to was Sussex University. And so we'd be on there every week trying to engage the students about Jesus. But you know, the motto for Sussex University is be still and know. I thought it was great, straight out of the Bible. But they only got half of it. Because the Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. And I think sometimes that's our danger. We think if we can be still and know. No, be still and know that he is God. God is looking for this sense of intimacy, closeness. I, you know, I, I approach this white British, you know what I'm saying? But I bet many other preachers were standing and go, stop! That's what God was really saying. I want your attention. I want your time. I want you to look at me. I want you to engage with me. That's almost how the passage goes. Leave your work emails. Leave your fitness program just for a moment. Leave your netbook series. Don't go to the beach just for a moment and engage with me. Be still and know that I am God. The African Bible commentary, the African Bible commentary says this, the Christian community today is facing the same danger of focusing on external things instead of a faithful relationship with the Lord. Oh, look, I, I always feel this, I say this to my own church, when you point one finger at somebody else, you point three at yourself. Look, I'm not standing here saying I've got this right in any way. I just say, oh God, let me be one who focuses upon you. John Piper puts it this way, the American theologian and pastor, God hits home in the stillness. If you want your life to be significant, you've got to stop running and stop scurrying about, and turn off the TV and radio, and get alone, and be quiet. Let the mammoth realities of human lostness, and eternal judgment, and never-ending joy, and God's universal triumph take hold of you, and change your life. What is your perspective? I'd like to think we're friends. So I'm going to make a confession to you. I carried my Bible up here because that's what men of God do. But I actually read it from my iPad. 
because my eyesight's going and I can't see read my Bible without my glasses and I was too vain to put my glasses on. My perspective was sliding and I thought I'll just fake it. And I sometimes think we do that spiritually. We've lost our view of God and we think I'll just fake it. We've lost our intimacy with God. We've lost hearing his voice and we go through the motions. And I think what this psalm is saying is, come on, I want you to put it all aside. I want you to be still and know that I am God. There's breakthrough moments. There's life for you. Don't just keep going through the motions. And then just in conclusion, we see in verse 7 and verse 11, it says this, the Lord Almighty is with us. The Lord Almighty is with us. I mean, this is the whole theme of the book of Matthew, isn't it? I mean, we could have done a whole Bible study on that. It says at the beginning of Matthew, his name's Emmanuel, which means God with us. It says where two or three are gathered, God is with us. It says you go to the ends of the earth and I'm with you. We have a God who's with us. I mean, that is the beauty of this, isn't it? A refuge in crisis, a river of peace, a right perspective. My final quote comes from Elizabeth Elliot. Some of you will know that she was doing God's work. Her and her husband were in Africa trying to tell people as missionaries about Jesus. Her husband gets killed. She is left with a 10-month-old daughter. But doing God's work. She says this, where does your security lie? Is God your refuge? your hiding place, your stronghold, your shepherd, your counsellor, your friend, your redeemer, your saviour, your guide. If he is, you don't need to search any further for security. And to me, that, that's almost the summary of this psalm, isn't it? I don't know what your year has been like. And I don't want to belittle it. I don't know if you're grieving because you've lost a friend to COVID. I don't know if you're struggling financially because furlough's coming to an end. I don't know if you're struggling to get a job. I don't know how your own mental health is doing. But what I do know is that God is your refuge and your strength. And actually, we've got to come back to this. And we've got to say, God, whatever the crisis, you don't clear all crises away, but you are here and with me. I'm going to pray. Why don't you join with me? It may well be that you just think, yeah, Pete, this has been a torrid, torrid, difficult time. I, I, I want to look again at this refuge. I want to ask again for this river of peace. I want to get a right perspective of who God is and that he's with me in this time. Let's pray, shall we? Oh, Heavenly Father, we do come to you now. Even just in the pause of this moment, we want to be still and know that you're God. We thank you that you are the rock that we cling to. You are the, the, the shelter that we run to. You are the river of life. Lord, we want to be still and know you as God. 
Father, we pray for any here today say, oh, well, I've never known God. I pray they'd, they'd know that opportunity. I pray they'd talk to Nathaniel or someone today and think, oh, yeah, discover him. Lord, I pray for those that are really struggling. Golly, you know, these masks, they mean so much more than the physical thing. I just feel I've been cut off from the people of God. I felt I've had a mask on even spiritually, and I, I feel like I've not heard God speak to me. It's felt dry. It's felt difficult. I pray that they walk out with this perspective. God is there. God is with them. God will never leave them. God is their refuge and their strength. I ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.